Welcome to Shelter in Place, a podcast about finding daily sanity in a world that feels increasingly insane. Coming to you from Oakland, California, I'm Laura Joyce Davis. This week of Shelter in Place began with Moki Musau, who sent me a voice memo in response to the Enneagram series I've been working on. Those episodes are still coming, but they've changed shape in light of all that is going on right now. Since Moki sent me that voice memo before George Floyd was killed, I wanted to circle back with him and see how he was doing. I didn't know Moki at all before this week. His voice memo came to me through my sister-in-law, Hillary, who is good enough friends with Moki to know that he'd welcome a follow-up conversation. And she was right. What I'm giving you today is what Moki and I came up with together. So, Moki, I thought it would be interesting for us to actually just start by talking about what our physical surroundings are right now in this moment. Uh, Yeah, I'm in uh, my basement, and my son Max is on my lap. He just woke up from a nap. He's eating my lunch, not eating his lunch, and he's watching cartoons, um, which is sadly the only way I know how to keep him in control when I got so much other things to do. He's eating my lunch, and I'm drinking his water, so it's a fair trade. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds about right. (laughs) So you're in Virginia. I am in Oakland, California, and I'm in this 100-square-foot little studio that we built in our backyard a few years back, which we have been very, very grateful to have during this time of sheltering in place. But there is no AC, and we're having a heat wave, and I have a little box fan that I normally keep running on hot days, but... It'll make our audio sound terrible if I have it on. So it is off. So I'm here sweating buckets in my little writing studio with the window and the door closed and no airflow. And um, I think that's maybe actually an appropriate segue to what we're doing here in this conversation, which is kind of a weird thing. Like we don't know each other and we are voluntarily having a conversation about the world right now and both kind of said maybe we'll talk about racism but we haven't even really talked about what that looks like we're going to kind of see what happens so how are you honestly feeling right now about this conversation and just in general for me I've had this conversation before it started in you know 2012 and when Trayvon got killed and from then on there's always like this cycle where you know someone gets killed and then it's just a matter of like waiting for somebody to ask me, hey, Moki, how are you really doing? And you got to give the answer. Then you got to do a whole bunch of other things. And then life goes on and then it comes back again. And then it's another cycle. And then it just kind of continues. So it's not the first, my first rodeo around this. I think the way I feel is just confused that our threshold for violence is just so high that seeing someone literally die in front of you, that's what it takes for someone to take action or really just to say something's wrong is you have to see somebody dying on a screen to say, oh my gosh, not even something is wrong, but I think something is wrong, right? The irony that a quote-unquote developed country has such a high threshold for injustice is just really thick. And it just is confusing to me. So I I feel pretty confused, a bit tired, 
of having to go through the cycle again. But also, I'm trying to be optimistic and give people a benefit of the doubt that, you know, look, whenever you come into the fight for justice, you're always late, right? And so it's like, all right, we're all coming late. So given that, how then do you encourage somebody who's just coming in, you know, for whom this is like their wake-up call, as it were? So I've been trying to focus on that. And, yeah, it's, I've, I've seen some really interesting interactions. It's been really encouraging for a lot of people. But it's not straightforward at all. It's it's really complicated. Yeah. I think if I'm really honest with myself, which I try to be in general, I have been feeling scared about this conversation. Like I said, we don't know each other. Um, we've just met. <laughs> I trust Hillary, who's your friend and my sister-in-law, but this is a conversation I probably would not have initiated had she not kind of pushed me a little bit and said, I think Moki might be up for this. I think he would invite this. And I think I'm feeling scared, I guess mostly because I know enough to know what I don't know. It's not like I'm somebody who's new to the idea that there's racism in our country. I think I have understood that on some level for a pretty long time. And, you know, like we're a family who goes to events that are trying to help people do racial reconciliation all the time. And our church is not only putting events like that on, but like talking from the pulpit about it pretty regularly. You know, we have black churches that we're in partnership with and black organizations. And like just case in point, this past Sunday, our pastor announced that as part of the response to this, they were specifically donating money to a couple of local black churches to just to like show their support and solidarity and say like, we are here and we want to be with you. And that very much speaks to the situation I'm coming from where this isn't news to me, I feel very, very blessed that I have some friends in my life, black friends, but also other people of color who will have these conversations with me. And I have to say, even then they're hard conversations. Most of the time they're, they're tricky. And I go in with the sincerest motivations. And I think inevitably I always say something that triggers some response I didn't intend, or like I just don't bring the understanding I needed to the conversation. And I firmly believe we need to have these conversations, and it's why I keep having them, right? It's like I, I keep putting myself in these situations where I'm going to learn just how much I still don't get and how much I like really still need to grow, and that is... I think it's fine for me to feel uncomfortable. I think it's fine for me to even feel like really not okay sometimes. I think that lament is part of all of this. And also, I imagine if I'm feeling this way as somebody who has really been trying for many years now, I mean, I used to say what it means to not be racist, and now I'm reading Ibram Kendi's book and saying, no, I'm changing that to I'm learning how to be anti-racist. But I imagine if I'm feeling that way, then somebody who's maybe feeling a little newer to the conversation just feels like, holy cow, where do we even start? So part of the reason I wanted to have this conversation with you was for those people too. And, and I, I don't know. I just, 
even as we're talking, I feel like I don't want to be the fragile white person who's trying to ask the black person how to solve racism. Like, that is so not my intention, and it feels like I keep getting there anyway. <laughs> I have an easy answer for that. You know, if you want to solve it, you got to pay for it. It seems like a lot of people who want a solution, who want things to be different, want a solution that they don't have to do a lot to see happen. I was listening to a podcast yesterday talking about some scandal, and the narrator said, he said, money can solve a lot of problems. And it's funny because we have that attitude to a lot of things in our lives, even if we don't admit it. We do. I mean, if you think about it, you know, would you rather have a lot of money or not a lot of money? Most people would say, I want a lot, right? Money solves a lot of problems, right? And we'd rather have more than not. Why, though, in this case, do we feel like money is not going to solve some problems? Anybody asks me now, like, Moki, you know, what's the solution? I said, money. Put money into it. See what happens, right? Don't knock it till you try it. <laughs> you know, so put some money into it. But I'm married to a white woman, and, you know, we got this beautiful biracial boy here. We have to consider what kind of world do we want to make for him. And a lot of that world has to be one in which people like me and my wife can actually work together to create that world, right? So I came into the justice game late. My wife came later into it. And that was a big learning curve. There was a lot of guilt there on her side where, you know, it's like, man, I'm part of the problem. Or a lot of people nowadays, a lot of their feelings are more of guilt. Like, it's my fault that things became this bad. Or it's my fault that I didn't see this and that. And and a lot of people, I think, are stuck because they're consumed by this feeling of guilt. Like, if they do something, then they have to explain why they took so long to do something, you know? So one of the things that I, I did, and it was real simple stuff. Yesterday, I put out a, a video on, on all my social media pages and just said, hey, look, it's cool that you're doing a hashtag. It's cool that you're blacking out your page or whatever. But I want you to think about one thing, whatever you can think of, that you can do differently starting today. And what was really cool was, one, seeing the number of people that are saying, Moki, I'm going to do this. And also seeing, like, the variety of responses. Some were like, I'm going to talk to a congressman. I'm going to, like, some people were thrown in the kitchen sink, too. Like, you feel like they're going to change everything. And then other people were saying, Moki, I'm going to have more conversation. I can't be silent anymore. And then today, I followed up by saying, hey, look. I hope you all saw from yesterday that you're not alone in taking one step. Because I didn't say, like, well, how are you going to change your life? No. I said, how are you going to take one step? And so that's one of the things I'm learning is that once you encourage them to take one step differently. Now, it doesn't have to be what I'm doing, right? We're all walking this thing together. Some of us are walking faster or slower, but we're all going towards this better future we want together. And if I can encourage somebody to take one step at their pace it's going to encourage them to take another one and another one. I think we're like, if I take one step, I have to take a thousand. So they get overwhelmed too. So there's guilt and you're overwhelmed because you think you have to change the world in one day, right? So it's like, no, take one step. All right, once you get there, now what can you do next? And then what can you do next? And then what can you do next? That's what I'm focusing on. So when people say, Moki, what can I do? I say, well, what do you think you could do? A couple of people actually talked about we're going to get more children's books that have children of color, different black, brown, Asian sorts of things, quote unquote, introducing the conversation early. 
I mean, that's powerful. You know, they're they're not marching outside in the heat or standing protesting outside the governor's office. They're helping their kids. But that's important, right? You don't know how teaching your children changes you. And a lot of these parents, I think, are going to see just how their perspectives and their attitudes are going to change just from teaching their children. But again, you got to take that step and accept it. All you can do is teach your kids and teach your kids. Do it the best you can. If you're marching, you better march hard. But take that one step of yours and don't let it die out the next day. Uh, because that's the cycle that I've gotten used to is they like, man, I'm excited. Moki, this, that, you know, I'm sorry, Moki, I stand with you. I know it's not going to be the same thing in a week. You know, they're going to be on to the next thing. So the, 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 the hope is that like you take one step and then like next week, all right, what step are you going to take today, next month, next year, next 10 years, what are you going to be doing? Like, what are you going to tell your kids as they get older? So even when it comes to solution, if you want a straight answer, put a ton of money into it, see what happens. A longer answer, I think a better answer is take the step that you can. Once your foot is landed, take the next one, you know, and then the next one. And just realize that you're not doing it alone. It's all of us doing like different things in different areas. That's what leads to the change because I can't march outside because, you know, I got to stay home with my son. But the people outside who are marching are making a difference and I'm making a difference by taking care of my kid. And so that's what's going to move us forward is all of us doing our different things. But we got to do them hard. You know, Martin Luther King said, you, you can't get tired. You know, we got to keep going. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I've been thinking lately about how living in a place like Oakland, it's fairly easy to find a tangible way to do something right now. You know, most of the people I know here have a lot of friends of color. Like, this is our world here, and it's one of the things I love about this city. But I have dear friends and family across the country where that is not their situation. I wonder, especially for somebody who is kind of new to the conversation in terms of trying to think about what they can do, I wonder if there are things that come up for you right away of things that somebody in rural, white Wisconsin or something like that could do right now. I mean, I did theology and philosophy in grad school, so I'm always like conceptual first before practical. But I think the main thing is to figure out what is your disposition, when you get into a relationship, you don't know how hard it's going to be. When you're in it, you're like, man, I didn't know it was going to be this hard, right? But you're in it, so you know, might as well deal with it, right? But way in the beginning, before the relationship started, before the challenges came up, you were just willing to go into the relationship and see what happens, right? And not just see what happens, but you were willing to address and interact with what happens with the other person that you're in the relationship with. So I think... What can they do? Man, there's real power in saying, guys, I don't know what's going on here, but something doesn't seem right. If you're in a community that's very, very one-sided, you know, like an echo chamber kind of community, right? Everyone expects you to believe what they believe all the time about everything. And there's real power when you say, guys, I just don't know. I I can't. I don't, I don't see it, man. I, I just... Something about this does not seem right. When you can just say that you don't believe everything just the way that you always did because that's what you're supposed to do, there's real power in that. Now, it takes courage to realize that what you thought to always be true may not be true. 
that's the most important thing because if you're not open to the possibility that what you know may not be true or the only thing that's true you know i got a friend up in maine one time he asked me monkey you know I, i'm in maine bro like ain't no black people around here what am i supposed to do like his situation is true like that is real what is also real is this other thing that we're trying to suggest over here that has always been real and how open are you to exploring that now not believing it or accepting it but exploring right that's the perspective now when it comes to like the practical start talking before you have it all figured out that's my thing i was on a facebook comment thread uh yesterday which i highly discourage you stay away from the comment threads but i was on this one and i got a good friend of mine you know white guy out out in the south and Man, he entered this conversation so graciously. He was like, guys, look, I don't know what's going on. This is what I've always known. I'm trying to see what y'all are seeing, but I'm just not seeing it. Help me. I'm going to tell you straight up. The comment thread from the top before his comment was combative. But on his comment and the dialogue, that was a legitimate discussion. That was a conversation. Because he came in not saying, look, this is what I believe. Prove to me. He was like, guys, look, I just don't know. You know, I'm trying to see what y'all are seeing, but I see it from this way and I just can't see why this is the case and such is the case. Help me understand. There's real power in starting to talk when you don't have it all figured out. And that means something. A lot of times, you know, echo chambers or whatever, or places that are very monolithic in particularly in in their thought, they just become very close to the potential for inquiry. Not even inquiry, but just curiosity. How curious are you to explore the possibility that black people might actually be targeted in some kind of a way, whatever that means, by the police. Not even like that you believe it or that it's true. Forget all that. Just like entertain it. You know, talk about it. Think about it. You know, if you're a believer or a person of faith, pray about it. At that point, you're not even ending up anywhere, any conclusions. You're just like, you know, help me understand. Like, what is this? The one thing that everybody can do when I say everybody, I mean everybody, because my wife and I are just coming from, we lived for the last two years in like rural mountains of Swaziland, which is right outside of South Africa. And we had internet there. Okay. If you have internet in like the mountains of South Africa, you got internet in America, get on the internet. And I tell you what, if you're rural, conservative, white, whatever, Go on some of the things and hear some of the stuff that those, you know, liberals are saying, right? If you're liberals, go on the side that all these right-wingers or tea partiers are, are saying and see what they're saying, you know? And I tell you what, when you engage and encounter ideas that are very different from you, you're going to feel really uncomfortable, even if you're just reading it. You're not even listening or talking to anybody. You're just reading it, you're going to feel uncomfortable. Man, just ride that wave. You know, take that hit. I tell you, like... Will Smith said, you know, God placed everything that's great on the other side of fear. You never know how much fulfillment you can get from your life by simply facing your fears and just like moving past them. A lot of the reason why we don't want to do anything right now, especially if you're in a monolithic place, is because you're afraid of what people are going to think about you. You're afraid that you're going to lose your place in that small piece of society. People say, everything I've worked for, you know, you're going to lose all of that. But at that point, you have a decision to make. At the end of the day, what kind of person do you want to be? Who's the person that I want my son to look at and say, like, man, that's my dad and I'm proud of him? That person is the one who compels me to look through gracious eyes at people who are just now coming at me like this is a new problem. 
and realize, yo, they're just like me. I was like them just a little bit ago, right? Just because I got dark skin doesn't mean that I've always thought this way. You need to realize that we're all in some kind of community that has a very dominant way of thinking and looking at the world. And whatever that is, we have to be open to the possibility that things could be different. And this is the crazy thing. Things could be different, and that could be just as true as my reality right now, right? And so even me as a black guy, right, I don't understand, you know, these conservative Christians who think we're just over here trying to stoke fires and, you know, make problems. But perhaps their reality, the way that they're looking at life, is just as true as, as mine is. It's just assuming even just for the sake of argument. What does that do for the way that I engage in a conversation? Am I going to be combative? Or am I like, man, you know what? Let me try and see what they're seeing. And then let me t show them what I'm seeing. And let's see where we end up. Secondly, just start talking. And I mean talking, like words, you know, say it out loud. Like start talking before you have it all figured out and just have the courage to follow through. And follow through doesn't mean to like have the right answer. You know, if you've ever been in some kind of relationship, like a serious one, marriage, you know, romance, friendship, you know that sometimes you start talking, you start saying stuff, and you end the conversation without any kind of resolution. And sometimes that's how most of these conversations end, and you just have to wait until you talk again. Sometimes when you talk, when you open your mouth and you start saying stuff, you're going to finish and you'll be like, man, I wish I hadn't said that. I'm like, man, I need a, I need to do one, man. Let's let's talk again at some point. I think what we all need to realize is like this conversation is no different from any other. The same quote unquote rules apply: kindness, empathy, graciousness, uh, courtesy. All of these things still apply. It's like we're dealing with like a whole new thing that we've never experienced before. Ain't nothing but a conversation. Hey, think about this: you and I are talking. This is our first conversation ever. But to me, it just feels like another conversation I had with somebody, you know, before today. Because we're really just having a conversation. And for me, whenever I enter a conversation, I say, okay, what's the other person saying? And how can I help them see clearly? How can I help them help me see what they're seeing? How can I enter their world? How can I see things from, from their perspective? That's every conversation. And so this one, I enter it the same kind of way. And I have the same feelings about you that I have about anybody that I've talked to, which is just, you know, this is an interesting person. I've really enjoyed getting to know what their world is like. Now, the conversation topic then is like a different thing, but that's simply another matter of exploration because I don't have all the answers. And this is another thing. People need to start thinking that black people have all the answers. We don't even have some of the answers. We just have our lives and the pain, right? Like pain is not an answer. That's just a reality, right? And so realize that when a black person is saying like man you know this stuff is tough we're not over here like with phds defending our pain we're just normal people that feel pain right like if you're in the mountains in the appalachian trail i guess and you feel pain about someone has hurt you do you want them to ask you for your dissertation to defend yourself or do you just want them to just feel your pain and to hear you out and empathize with you Right. Or when someone comes with their pain, are you like, all right, you know, I need that three paragraph argument with the thesis and the conclusion or else, you know, I'm not going to listen to you. Is that how you come to them? Or are you just like, oh, man, somebody's going through something real quick. OK, let me let me turn my phone off. Let me get out my distractions. And OK, all right. So what, what what's wrong? Right. That's how we deal with pain. We don't ask for dissertations. We give them love. I have a, a mentor that talks about this venting period of he's a police negotiator and like, you know, 
one of the things that you have is this venting period where you're just on the phone and you're negotiating and someone is just like venting. You just got to get through it until you can start asking some questions. Sometimes most of us, we're always venting and we never get over it because people don't give us a chance. As soon as you start venting, what do you become? The angry black person, the angry black woman, Medea. You never get past it. So you're always like cycling through the venting stage of pain. That's where a lot of us are. I got some friends, some, you know, old black guys, black women who, man, I tell you, the worst thing is you get calloused in that venting phase. You get real calloused and you get real damaged. And the hurt is real and it's deep. And it's hard to get past that. My thing is, man, just give love because if you were in that position, and this comes not to empathy, right? You give love because if you were in that position, you would hope to receive some love. And if you didn't, your pain would just be exacerbated and you'd be calloused. Then what happens when the next interaction comes around? What are you going to do? Like, oh, man, the last one was like this. So this was going to be like, let me just harden up. And what happens if you're like that for like 10 years? Give love and just talk. You know, you're married. I'm married. My wife sometimes comes to me and she's like, Moki, I don't know. Da, 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 da. And like at some point I got to say something. I don't have all the answers, but I just got to talk and we figure it out. You know, people don't understand what love means because we all just we just know it as like some weird thing. But love, like when it's in the trenches and it has to, you know, pull us out of some deep, deep stuff. That's where real friendships are born. I'm glad you brought up the anger. And I think it seems like that anger and grief and just kind of like suffocating grief is something that I'm just hearing from pretty much everybody I talk to, no matter what color they are right now. And I, you know, I've been trying this past week to just be a good friend in general, but like especially to my black friends and to reach out and be like, I love you. I appreciate you. And I literally was reading an essay the other day and the woman writing it was saying, I'm so tired of my white friends reaching out and saying how heartbroken they are. And when like black people have been dealing with this stuff all along and I literally was like, oh my goodness, I just sent a text to my friends saying how hard I, I am that <laughs> white person right now. Yeah. I just did it. And I felt like such an idiot and, yeah. and all, and like, that's fine. You know, like I can be an idiot. I, and I, I'm like, of course. And yeah. you mm. know, I, I had sent texts like that to two separate friends. One of them responded incredibly graciously to me and the other one I still haven't heard back from and I'm like you know what maybe she is pissed at me and I can yeah with that like (laughs) she is allowed to be pissed at me if if I if that was just the (laughs) wrong thing to say but I I wonder if you can speak to that a little bit because Mm -hmm. I think there is a sincerity there of at least you know by some of us like we really are trying to be good friends right now and we're just I mean We're just kind of screwing it up again and again. And I'm, you know, that's not news to me again. But Hillary, when I, when she and I were talking about the earlier episode this week, um, balance, she was saying to me, you know, I think the balance beam metaphor, well, first of all, let me just say it might have been the wrong metaphor. You know, this is what you get when you have a daily podcast and you're like, ah, shoot, there probably was a better metaphor I could use. (laughs) But that aside, her point was, You know, I think what's hard about this is that when white people are trying to get up on the balance beam of fighting racism, they're going to fall off. Like, they are going to fall off. And I think there's going to be a lot of people who just decide they don't want to fall off anymore. They're tired of falling off. It's too hard. And I guess I'm just wondering, 
for people like me who who keep falling off. <laughs> and again, I'm not looking for you to solve my problems. Like I hope you don't hear no, that no. in my question. I just not at all. It's a genuine desire to want to be a good friend right now and a good citizen of this country and this world. And also just feeling like, man, I suck at this. <laughs> We all do. And, you know, I'd say, like, man, you know what? Like, those friends you sent texts to, I'd just keep texting them. I imagine this. Like, let's say you're grieving and, and a friend, you know, hits you up. Hey, Laura, I'm just real sorry. I hope you're doing better. And you don't hear, me, hear from him again for, like, a year. Like, it's not even like they were seeing, like, how you doing? How's your new job? This is like you lost something important, special to you. And it's just like this little, hey, you know, hope you're okay. You know, I'm sorry. They're gone. You just got to hang in there. Think of someone who, a friend of yours, who loses something, who's grieving a loss of a family member, a friend, and, and you want to be there for them. What would you do? Right? Would you just, like, hit them up one time and give up? Or hit them up one time and not talk to them again? Like, what would you do? Right? You, you, you're in there. This is the thing about grief, too. And I, I'm talking like this because I've been there. My dad died last year. And it was painful. You got to hang in there. You, and you can't take no for an answer. That's the thing I learned from the people around me. They didn't leave me alone. You know, always there. Moki, how you doing? You all right? I know it's a bad time. You know, just letting you know I'm around. Hang up. Next day, Moki, how you doing? You all right? Just making sure I'm, I'm here. You want to talk about it? No? Okay. <laughs> Next day, Moki, you around? And that's it right there. Because right now, what black people need are people who are you have this, this slang you're a real one what's a real one someone who hangs in there right and i was in a class in seminary where a professor was he had this rhetorical question that was really interesting he said he always wondered about you know white folk who say they have black friends quote unquote but they don't know anything about their experiences and he said what were you talking about this whole time right how did you not know i got a lot of friends who've never asked me about what it is, right? And they, but when something crazy like this happens, he said, Moke, I'm so sorry, man. I stand with you. I don't hear him for him again in however God knows how long. But I do have some friends who, you know, a moment like this happened in the past. And a dear friend of mine up in Massachusetts, and she asked me, Moki, what's the deal? I came at her hard, strong, tough. Like, I didn't, pull no punches nothing and we left went our separate ways and she she followed me she followed me came at me moki man it sounds like you're you're hurting can you please tell me what you're going through now she's one of my best friends because she hung in there you don't take no for an answer because pain comes off as anger but it's because there's some deep pain in there if you can wipe out on that first wave of anger you're gonna have some good waves after that that's what I say to, you know, all my white brothers and sisters is, man, you know, it might be some anger or some cold shoulders in the beginning. But doggone, if you stick in there, like that's 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 where the real friendship, the real magic happens, like after that first contact. You know, I'm a realtor now. And a lot of it comes from you know, a lot of when you talk about prospecting, you know, you got to keep <laughs> you got to keep calling. Someday I'm going to call you to sell your house. And trust me, I'm going to call you multiple times. Right. You got to keep coming at it. You know, the beautiful thing is then you get to tell stories in the future. 
you know, like right now my friend out in, in Massachusetts, like right now in this situation, when she calls me up, says, Mo, you know, this is rough and I'm, I'm real sorry. I remember how she like didn't give up on me and she wanted to know and she stuck in like past my pain. And then we came, we came to an understanding, not an agreement, an understanding. And now we're friends. Now we got a story to tell. That's three years strong now and growing. This is what comes on the other side of this. This is real friendship. And now what's awesome, when I think of people who think differently from me, it's not just some monster. It's my friend, right? She's not a monster. Not only just on an imagination side can I be gracious, but realistically, I can be gracious of them. At this point, there's no them now. It's her. And if you want to get real in the nitty gritty, my wife and I have very different views. We had very different views, and we're coming to an understanding. And it's hard. Trust me. We're wiping out a whole lot. We're not very good surfers right now, you know, when it comes to these kinds of conversations. But we still keep it going out to hit those waves, right? And there's, I tell you, these kinds of understandings that you have to work hard for, man, these are the ones that, like, have a solid foundation. And what's going to happen is the more you, you get into it, the firmer your foundation is, the more you'll be able to withstand in the future. So keep at it. Send those texts. Keep sending. If you got iPhone, send a voice message. That's what I do now. I send all these voice messages and I mess up and just keep, you know, I stutter and all this other stuff. And I send people like, man, Moki, uh, you know, <laughs> it's all good, man. No need to be so hard on yourself. You know, I appreciate you reaching out. That stuff goes such a long way. So keep reaching out to your friends, Laura, and, and anybody else who's listening. If you ever read Chris Voss, the split the difference is an accusation audit. If you got to call yourself a, an idiot in the beginning, do it. Look, hey, look. I'll give you a script right now for any white person who want to reach out to your black friend. Use this script. Hey, look, um, I know I haven't reached out to you before in the past, and and you probably think that I'm one of these bandwagoners, social justice people, whatever, and, and you probably think I'm, I'm an idiot. Um, but I just want to let you know that uh, I've seen what's happening, and I just don't know what... I don't know what to think, and I'm just really confused. Um, but I just want to let you know that I'm, I'm open to talking with you, and if you want to share, um, you know, I, I'm here. Um, you know, you don't have to respond to this message. Just want to let you know that I'm here. And, you know, just, yeah, know you got somebody next to, you know, on, on your side. And, um, yeah, I, I really appreciate your friendship. And then hang up, or whatever it is that you did. Stop. You got to send a text, send a text. And the next day, do something else. Hey, just checking in. I know I sent you a message. Just, you know, hey, just think about you. Just keep doing it. And then at some point, you got to say, hey, look, can we talk? Use the script. Can we talk? I don't know about what. I don't know what I'm going to say. I don't know what to say. I just want to talk. Can we do that? Boom, right there. Right there, you have a potential friend for life. You can put put in the show notes. Type it up. Make it a script. I don't even remember what I said. I can do that. But make it a script and have and have people send it. See what happens. Honestly, you can have them test it out. Send it. Like see what happens. Because when you let them know that, look, I know I'm one of them. You probably think I'm just like everybody else, right? But look, you're my friend. We've been friends before. We've talked, and just want to say X, Y, and Z. You got to start somewhere. And sometimes, if you start graciously like that, it can go a long way. Do you think this time is any different than all the other times in the past? 
Yeah, the feeling of guilt is really high because everybody was looking, was waiting for a smoking gun, and here you got it. You know, because we didn't think that you were going to get it, right? Everyone's like, I just, I just, it's not good enough. You know, you, no one knew what was going on. Da, 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 da. Well, everyone was always like, you know, something happened. It was like, you know, well, Trayvon, well, you know, he stole from a store. And everyone was looking for that, like, one thing, seeing evidence that this dude died, right? And then secondly, that he's actually a good person, right? It was always like one of those two things were missing. The death wasn't, like, certain in terms of, like, what was going on. Or, like, their history where it was, you know, some kind of, had some kind of stain in it or some whatever. But now, the dude died, he was killed, and he's a, he's a Christian family man. <laughs> it's just like, it's like the magic eight ball. It's like, we hit sevens on this one. <laughs> you know, and now, so now it's like, you asked for it, you got it. And now people are like, I didn't think I was actually going to get it. That's how they feel in their hearts. And so then now you just got to like, you know, kind of come your tail between your legs and be like, I'm sorry this time. You know, I, I can't hide from, you can't push the goalposts any further. Ain't no more field left. Shelter in Place is grateful to be sponsored by Delta Wines, the refined daily drinker with a social good built in. These California wines are fresh and approachable, perfect for casual dinners at home, which is why we keep several in our fridge at all times. Plus, for every $15 bottle you buy, Delta donates $1 to fighting climate change. Buy online at winesforchange.com and use the code SHELTER to get 10% off. In your original voice memo that you sent me, one of the prompts that I gave you was, what do you need right now? And... I wonder if that has changed for you this week as things have kind of unfolded. That's a great question. I don't know if anything has changed. I think about my son and I say, all right, what world do I want for him? And what can I do to make that happen? Or at least to play my part. And I think for me, I just assume when I move through life, just assuming that no one's going to like, you know, try and understand my pain. You know, it just kind of going to be like, you know, hey, Moki, you know, I'm sorry, you know sucks I'm with you God be with you kind of thing if I send this message if I care this time it's not gonna happen again right so that's like this idea of getting rid of guilt has anything changed I don't think so I think the changes happen more in me when I consider what can I do and and how can I encourage others along and I'm a believer man so I honestly just I move forward and I say God help me with you know what my needs are and where I'm deficient and I'm just going to go ahead and do this thing over here and try and help these people out over here. And I hope that, uh, you know, I'm going to put my, my life in your hands and I trust that you're going to take care of me. My wife is like, she's tough. You know, when it comes to like in this kind of scenario, man, she just hangs in there. If there's any, anybody who who hangs in there, it's her. And I'll be, I'll be getting mad and like, you know, raising my voice and, and just cussing and just like furring my brow and just like rub my and just like oh man I don't know what's going on and just dejected and she just hangs in there and she said last night I'm standing here with you Mo wherever we're going man I'm I'm standing here with you and man you get somebody like that in your life it makes a whole world of difference and when they're your spouse and you're a black person 
oh, doggone. That just, that's uh, the treasure you find in the field that you put back in the field and you buy the whole field, right? That's that kind of thing, right? You can't, you can't put a price on that. Yeah, that's beautiful. Moki, is there anything I haven't asked you about that you really wanted to talk about in this conversation? I think just that I gave y'all the keys of the kingdom. Now y'all are me white people, right? I've bas- I've given you like a legitimate script for how to talk to a black person, it's right? So true. You can use today. Any good salesperson knows when you're cold calling or you know trying to re-engage a, a lead, you always end with a question to engage. So at some point you gotta you gotta bring the question. Start with the accusation audit. You know, look, I'm an idiot. I suck. I'm the worst friend in the world. You know, look, I know I haven't been there for you. If you say that right there, you acknowledge that you haven't been there. That means a lot. You say, look, I don't know what's going on in my heart. I've always thought this, but it just seems like something's wrong. Moke, I just don't know. I just want to let you know I'm here for you. I don't have any answers. I don't want you to give me any answers. I don't want to. Look, you don't have to mess with me back. Just, just want to let you know I'm here, man. And then just keep following up. You got to keep following up. And at some point, you got to say, Mo, can we talk? Tell me what you're feeling. One of the questions I learned that makes Terry Gross such a powerful interviewer, she always asks, tell me more. You ask that question to any answer, and you will find the pain. And you're going to get real deep. And that takes courage. So have the courage to keep asking, tell me more, tell me more, tell me more. My wife does it now, you know, mm-hmm. and it just infuriates me so much because I have to tell her more. And that's, you know, dudes don't like talking about anything. So I got to talk about feelings and I get mad. I'm like, golly, yo, can you just leave me alone? But that's where the real pain is. And we start talking about the real thing that needs to be talked about, needs to be addressed. So that's what I would say. Because honestly, that's what I'm waiting for. I'm waiting for somebody to do that in my life. Tell me more. <laughs> Great. I mean, you don't have to, but <laughs> if you want to. No, I mean, yeah, like, you know, I've had a lot of people reach out, um, but not a lot of people follow up. Yeah. I've had a lot of people who have reached out and and they've said, Mokey, man, you know, like, I'm sorry, I stand with you. And I haven't heard anything else, mm-hmm. you know. And so, you know, I, but I'm, I'm gracious, you know, and, and I'm not saying that in like a prideful way, but, you know, every effort I appreciate and I want to encourage people to keep making efforts. Yeah. And I'll say that for me, for a lot of people that I know, I, I know I, the many people that come to mind, just faces that come to mind, people who are some, some real pain who would just like, man, if somebody would just follow up. You know, because they're tired of everybody just doing that one-off thing, saying, oh, you know, I'm sorry I stand with you, and then nothing happens. They're tired of that. That stuff hurts. After a while, it just becomes another kick in the in, in, in the nuts. Yeah. You know? So, oh, is that, was that family-friendly? Did I say something wrong? No, you're great. Okay, all right. This is so <laughs> wonderful. Real, okay. I mean, I okay. just can't thank you enough, Moki, for being willing to have this conversation with a total stranger. I mean, I don't feel like we're strangers now, but not it at all. Is, it has been such a pleasure to just sit here with you and listen and ask a few questions, but I feel like I'm learning every day in this process. And I've, I've certainly learned a lot in this conversation and it really just, Mm -hmm. it's an honor to be able to 
had this kind of conversation and I, I appreciate your graciousness because you are incredibly gracious in this conversation. So thank you. I just want to say how much I value you, even though I just met you, I really appreciate you and your perspective and your wisdom and just your generosity in this conversation. It means a lot. It's my pleasure. Uh, you know, appreciate you wanting me on here and, you know, definitely appreciate Hillary for connecting us and, you and I've just met, but I guess I'm an encourager. I like to encourage people, and I pray to God to help, you know, take care of me, and, you know, I want to take care of other people, and if it's just helping them get one idea, you know, on how to do things better, then I think I've done my job. I came away from my conversation with Moki feeling like I'd just been given this incredible gift, one that I hadn't earned, that I didn't deserve, but that he gave to me anyway. It was the gift of grace. Moki didn't have to do that. It was its own kind of daily sanity, maybe the best kind, to know that a conversation that warm and gracious is possible, even between two strangers. I'm not expecting to have conversations like that every day, especially right now. I knew instantly that it was something special. It's a conversation that deserves follow-up, not just between Moki and me, but for all of us. I think the daily sanity today is the one that Moki suggested. We need to close with a question. What are we going to do with this conversation? What one thing can we take from it to take a step forward? And then tomorrow, what's the next step we're taking? And then the next, and the next one after that. If you found today's episode meaningful, I hope you'll share it with a friend and subscribe wherever you listen. If you listen on iTunes, rating and reviewing this podcast helps others find it too. As always, you can find more information about today's episode in my show notes at laurajoycedavis.com. Shelter in Place is sponsored by Brick and Mortar and Delta Wines. I am so grateful to be sponsored by a small local business that isn't just committed to making great wines, but to making this world a better place. Get 10% off your order when you use the promo code SHELTER at brickandmortarwines.com or winesforchange.com. When you buy wine, you support this show and also other businesses that are working toward more sustainable living. The Shelter in Place music was composed by Chase Horseman at Reactor Productions, and the Shelter in Place artwork was created by Sarah Edgel. As always, I'll be taking Sunday off, because we can all use a Sabbath. Until Monday, this is Shelter in Place. I'm Laura Joyce Davis.